podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we're back after yet another tempestuous weekend in FPL world as I celebrate my birthday. Hooray! Drinks, 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 lads, lads, lads. And in response to Mark Southerns' very kind question to me um, earlier, no, no, I'm no longer on my blanket. I'm in my kitchen now in a new spot to be podcasting going forward. It's the whole band back together. And first, Nick, you were right. Uh, happy birthday, Tom. Um, I was kind of expecting you to arrive half cut for the pod, so <laughs> a bit disappointing that you seem relatively sober, but I, I see you've got a stout in hand so uh plenty of drinking uh and yeah you might be a little bit more drunk by the time we get to the q a's who knows but uh we'll see that's that's lads as you said tom Boom. right um <laughs> we are who got the assist make sure to give us a follow on the usual social media channels instagram wgta.fpl um tom at wgta underscore fpl or myself at wgta underscore nick anthony at fpl stag and uh, join our league as well if you haven't already the code is cpsulf so yeah we're, we're back with um anthony again fresh from his wild card um had some success uh, so how are you doing pretty good nick thank you very much yeah it's lovely and happy birthday to you too tom uh, it's good to uh, reach the another number another another spin around the sun so yeah 32, <laughs> 32 spins around the sun very exciting lovely indeed and um i guess moving on to the pod itself uh, speaking of nice things <laughs> we're going to be talking about why do we enjoy playing fpl uh it kind of seems like it's really an appropriate time to look at this again because there's been an awful lot of ups and downs, especially on social media uh, within the Twitter community uh, in particular about the FPL season as a whole. But this week seems to have um, seen a, a real tipping point in that particular area uh, as well. We're just going to have like a general chat about the state of play, like where we're at with the season and stuff and what this year has actually been like, because it has been to use the cliche that you've heard so many times a season like no other. Uh, but first up, we're going to get on with the game of reviews and market forces. Correspondence is also back in the middle of the pod. Right, let's uh, get on to the game reviews then indeed. Yeah, I definitely finished bottom. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty dreadful. Even with that Veltman clean sheet, it only takes me up to 48 plus or minus four as well. So 44 net, it's uh, it's not great at all. Uh, but uh, not my finest hour, but, you know, um, sort of down to about 120k overall rank. I gave Gundogan, the armband didn't pay off. Sort of, he only turned up obviously for the second half, but it didn't matter. I guess I'm not too upset because my vice was Kane, so he would have got two points anyway. And um, yeah, most of the rest of the team just generally blanked. Got song goal. What uh, Watkins in my team picked up a nice goal um, randomly, which uh, pretty nice. Um, and uh, yeah, I also brought in Trent Alexander Arnold, so he got me a nice 11 points. But that was on a hit. I sold Dallas as part of that hit. Um, not that I was going to play Dallas anyway. It's just a, a bit annoying um and yeah uh just a bit frustrating i guess to see all these other players like lingard return when i didn't own him and bought in jota who did blank and yeah oh, hopefully so other blanks in the team so a little bit disappointing but uh we'll move on um so you, you came second tom i guess that's a green arrow for you was it yeah it's, it's a marginal one so i um took a minus eight this week so i couldn't decide between Jota and Lingard in the end so I bought them both um, I also brought in Trent um, who I captained 
so yeah i had a fantastic moment in the 90th minute i was saying before um we started actually that in the 80th minute of that liverpool game i'd pretty much given up i'd written on slack you know i'm done for the season guys i'm off walked into here to um the kitchen that is here uh, to replumb the, the dishwasher uh because we wanted to push it back a couple of anyway boring stuff um but then i just my phone started going and i heard go it's a great goal so i kind of ran back in the living room and i saw trent had scored and i actually ran around the living room like a bit of a weirdo um for a while um absolute buffoon and uh, my girlfriend i've got one uh, just in case anyone's wondering don't know how don't ask me how it was before job duty started believe me um, but she came and she was like what's happened are you right i was like my captain just scored in the last minute oh, it's a differential she was just like oh like rolled her eyes and walked back out again uh, so there you go but yeah and um, 60 points overall um it's very very good obviously lingard returning um that brace was just beyond expectations um trent scoring in the last minute that was jammy as hell but you know i'll take it whatever and son as well scoring goal also got um, Bamford off the bench uh, with the assist. I had Veltman actually second bench. Um, if Gundogan didn't come on for that cursory um, uh, cameo, I'd probably I'd got him off the bench as well with the six points. But you know, sixty minus eight, so fifty two netted out with the safety score being around 42, 43. Um, so a small green arrow, but nonetheless, like I've no managed to hide that minus eight um, in a decent enough scoring. Captains a a player who was well, second highest scorer behind Lingard, but you know, still not too bad. So yeah, I mean, front. I think I'm back up to about 280k now, which is decent enough. Um, but I need to just keep on this road of just taking punts and trying to do something different. But a few things like you know the sucker punch of Ario losing his clean sheet, Chelsea conceding off the only shot um, Palace had remained annoyances, That's for sure. And Anthony uh, wild carded into something very very good. Although you know that Jota should have gotten assist, shouldn't he? Yeah, Tom, I just when you talk about running around uh, celebrating your differential captain to your girlfriend and getting told off, I just imagine you're just kind of going, oh, you know what's a differential in our house? The dishwasher that isn't plumbed. <laughs> Get out of here. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, my wildcard team, I guess it's worth kind of giving it to everyone, just what I ended up doing, given that you guys heard me ruminating on it last week in last week's pod. So I did have Mendy as a goalkeeper in the end, as I flagged, and I paired him with Sanchez just because he had... Um, a decent kind of he filled in the few hard fixtures that Mendy has he substitutes in quite well unfortunately actually Sanchez outperformed Mendy this week but it was Mendy that I had uh, starting Uh, my defenders were holding Rudiger Alexander-Arnold Diaz and Shaw I played Diaz this week benched Shaw Uh, Diaz obviously didn't play so holding came in so I had uh, holdings eight points Rudiger's two and obviously the Trent 11 and not like Tom hadn't captained him in midfield, I went for Jesse Lingard. You couldn't ignore him. Uh, Mo Salah, I kept Bruno Fernandes. I had Jota. And as well, I kept Gundogan. I had benched Gundogan, so I didn't have the calamity with him. But I did. Fernandes, even though quite a lot of people were selling him. Jota was my captain, unfortunately. Um, it was either him or Salah. And obviously, I picked the wrong of the two. But these things happen. I've had an awful lot of captaincy fails in the last 10 game weeks, even though I've had quite a few green arrows. So that's kind of something to address but at the end of the day like I was I wasn't trying to be different picking shot I was just picking the player that I thought would be the best and then up front it was Chris Wood Harry Kane and Nacho so obviously Nacho in particular was firing there but Wood also did pick up an assist which was nice so between all those players my wildcard team yielded 70 points in its first week out which was very nice that brought me up uh, 36.45 percent as live FPL will tell me but what that really means uh, post subs that I'm at about 34k 
and 39 points now off the top 10k. Um, I was about 100 points off the top 10k six or seven game weeks ago. So with that in mind, things are progressing nicely towards, I guess, what is mm. the aim? Whether I get there or not remains to be seen. I'm, I'm now out of chips. And obviously I was, I did climb an awful lot of that thanks to my bench boost and my free hit and now the wild card. So we'll see how it goes. But I am, I guess, obviously I picked my wild card for more than just this week. So we'll see how it goes. Right, brilliant progress. Right, let's move on to the market forces then and talk about what the reaction has been to the game, which has literally just finished. Um, I know that we are in, and we'll talk about this in a second, in line for the longest calendar single game week in probably forever um, that's coming up. Um, so I mean, how are people reacting to that, Nick? Are there loads of moves in the market? And the players that are trending are kind of the ones that were trending a little bit previously as well because it, it was a good week for the wild card there's a lot of the players that were popular in the wild cards did well um, and specifically two guys in, in the West Ham and Leicester game who unfortunately I didn't own neither of them uh, but Jesse Lingard turned up of course with a brace um, just doing absolutely ridiculous um, at the moment isn't he with um, eight goals and four assists nine games um, that's now double the returns he's actually managed in the last couple of seasons and he's on um, 250,000 transfers in at time of recording so um, really uh, really netting in those transfers lots of people targeting him and of course the other player is Iheanacho who's just tipped over the 200,000 transfers in Mark um, yeah he's another player of course who's in form scoring a lot and, and picked up that brace in in that game i thought all the damage had been done from the jesse lingard brace and then he actually decided to score a late couple of goals for leicester and to just screw me over even further so lots of people bringing him in otherwise a couple a few other players sort of on the radar son for the double game week of course one hundred thirty-eight thousand transfers him for him Dallas is an interesting one. People bringing him in after that brace. 67,000 transfers in, which is a bit ridiculous. He is, of course, now the highest scoring defender in the game. So a few people looking at that. We've got correspondence on points as well later, which we'll, we'll capture. And uh, the other one to mention is, is Mason Mount also appearing in the zeitgeist as the fifth most transferred in player. Goal and assist in the last two. How do you guys feel about Dallas? I know Anthony on the last pod, you said he's my bow, he's going to stay in my team for all of the season. It's it's great to have a player who's going to be there. And Nick, you transferred him out. I've never owned him, so it didn't really matter to me. But it really felt like you guys were both Debbie and being done by Dallas there. I had obviously said that I wanted to keep him and I was doing my best to keep him in my side. And in the end, it just proved that I'd made so much profit on him that I was able to get to a slightly better team if I if I got rid of him than if I kept him. And I went with it. Like I would never, I wouldn't have got his points this week um, in a million years. They'd have been locked on my bench and wouldn't be, it'd be the third or fourth yeah, time. That, exactly. And it would have been the third or fourth time that Dallas points would have been locked on my bench as well because like so often his points come when you don't expect them. Um, which, but at the same time, even in spite of the fact that he is the highest scoring player in the game, he's been there have been an awful lot of extremely big days, like you know, seventeen pointers. I think we've had two of those even this season, and it just makes it so hard to know when to play him. Yeah. So yeah, with that, in, with that in mind, I, like I'm okay getting rid. You know, right. like those fixtures, there's nothing to be interested in. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit painful being in the Dallas Sellers Club this week, especially when you punished us all with the brace, but. You know, I think it's between me, it was kind of like him and Consa, and I kept Consa for the double game week. I kind of regret that to a certain extent. But yeah, as you said, I wouldn't have played him this week anyway, so I, I don't feel too bad about it. And 
you know, it's near the end of the season. They've got Liverpool, Manchester United up next. They've got a game against Spurs as well. Last three will look all right for Leeds, but I don't regret it too much. And they've got Trent in as well, who did well for me at least. Yeah, so, you know, even out. Silver lining. Silver yeah, lining there. I feel like he's fun. If, if he is reasonable next year, i.e. probably four point, probably going to be five million, let's face it, at least. Um, but he did say, I've seen something about being benched in FPL quite a lot of the weekend because we were at Man City. Well on those who kept me in, I'm sure they're buzzing, don't bench me again. <laughs> so yeah, one of those players who is aware of FPL as well, probably through his teammate Paddy B. Um, so Nick, in the sales, what's going on? I'm sure there's a lot of movers and shakers as a result. And it looks like, for example, uh, a certain uh, Gundawan is uh, a certain Gundawagon is uh, being derailed pretty quickly. Yeah, he's he's the most sold at the moment. Um, just 145,000 chances out for him. So he's only actually got one FPL point in three games because he missed out against Fulham, missed out against Leicester. Um, cameo against Leeds but you know we know the reasons why to a certain extent he's I still think he's in Pep's um, best 11 but Pep is prioritizing other competitions now and that is that is the problem we have with the Manchester City assets plus the blank in 33 and I think we've got a question on that as well later which we'll, we'll cover in detail but he's the most transferred out player probably a lot of people bringing in Lingard as well because they're similar prices Otherwise, it's a bit boring. It's kind of the injured gang. Antonio um, transferred out, 110,000 transfers out for him. Cresswell, um, I know you're pleased to see that he got subbed before the 60th minute um, with an injury, unfortunately for him. 77,000 transfers out. And uh, DCL didn't show up uh, today either with an injury. 70,000 transfers out meant a lot more people got Dallas off the bench, which is a bit annoying, but no. Bit of luck there, bit of jam, as we say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Lots of people are just like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm getting Dallas off the bench. 17 points out of nowhere. What can you do, really, if you see that sort of thing? What can you do, indeed? It takes, it takes nicely, kind of, onto um, why we love playing FPL, the feeling of powerlessness, doesn't it? Because there's been, as Anthony mentioned earlier, a lot of grumpiness over the last couple of weeks. I know you're not all on um, on the FPL socials, but you know, the last couple of weeks, there have been you know, the cacophony of captain fables, defensive sucker punches, and of course, this year there's been an all-round relentlessness of it, which has led to many a broken spirit, um, many an outpouring of grief, and a few folk actually announcing that they're leaving. Um, you know, they said it's too much. I'm not playing again next year, um, and I've obviously parodied this in my own way and said I'm not not playing next year, which has been a great comprehension test for FPL Twitter. Um, shows the attention to detail which is out there. Um, but anyway, I thought this week um, it would be a good opportunity to step back from our usual kind of detailed analyses of players, teams, and circumstances, and instead focus on the beauty of it all. You know, looking at the game from a zoomed out perspective, and perhaps remind ourselves anew uh, why we enjoy this sometimes blasted games if indeed we still do. <laughs> but of course, do players and teams in the questions. Uh, but this week, from listening to you know the game reviews in general, it kind of sums up the FPL's sort of experience in one way or another. Like Nick, Gundogan, Captain, that's anguish, isn't it? <laughs> There's nothing worse than having that sort of one-pointer um, from your captain and they come off the bench, even though it looked like a good idea on paper. Anthony, I, I know you've, you've done really well, but it didn't quite get the captain return. And there wasn't a lot made of it at the time, but Jota probably should have got that assist by the looks of it. He even posted on Instagram to that effect. And for me, a late riser asked me how it felt when that Trent goal went in. Well, I told you guys earlier on that I'm running around the living room like a, like a child. Like, it's redemption, isn't it? 
FPL does really kind of run you through the gamut of emotions, I suppose. And if you take it seriously and your outcome seriously, of course, you're going to be hurt if things don't go your way. And I guess it's about how you kind of express the upset on the negative side. So we've seen lots of self-important meltdowns on social media from people carping on about how their luck has been poor, which is just hilarious. And a few people, as I've mentioned, have been said they quit, have said they're quitting as well. Self-care is always the watchword. But I mean, how do you guys? Um, you know, see this year, especially in terms of relentlessness. I think that that's been what's unique about it, hasn't it? I mean, Nick, you're someone who's obviously a little, little bit more time poor these days than three years ago when we started this pod. I mean, how's it been for you? Obviously, we had the break last year with with COVID and everything, and then that meant that the sort of the football continued in through the summer. We didn't really get too much of a summer break. It was kind of straight on to the next season. Even like with the international breaks, they're still trying to pack in free friendlies in in their two weeks, which is pretty crazy. So even that, you don't feel like you've had a, a proper break. So. Yeah, I mean, it's been pretty crazy. We've obviously got the Euros and things like that coming up in the summer. So there's not going to be an end of the football. But, you know, I am looking forward to a certain extent just from the end of the season, just a little bit of a rest, especially with sort of my sort of family circumstances that I've got going on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you get these ups and downs, don't you, with FPL? And, and we saw it this game week. So I had the disappointment of a, a blank, obviously, with my captain, but it could have easily been you know, the opposite in your circumstance with like that last minute goal, we saw kind of these sort of huge swings as well, which I couldn't understand why a few people are a little bit upset. For instance, I saw someone tweet about Vardy and Jota going for them four points compared to Iheanacho and Salah for 20 points. And, and, you know, these, these massive swings, like going for someone like Jesse Lingard or not going for someone like Jesse Lingard, really sort of screwing a few people over. So I guess that's where a few of these frustrations have, um, have caught up, but, you know, we've got other people like, um, our friend Adam Pritchard we were talking to earlier. He was on uh, he was on 22 points uh, earlier today and was bemoaning his bad game week. Then he got Sam Johnson penalty save, 15 points from that, 37 up, taking him up to 37. And then he got Holgate and um, I think it was was it Veltman um, double clean sheets as well. Uh, so 49 points uh, in total. So r- real turnaround for him. So yeah, pretty crazy, right? Yeah, absolutely. I actually had sold Johnston on my wild card as well. And there was part of me was thinking hmm, that that hypothetical team that I could have had with both Johnston and Dallas would probably have outscored the team that I had in the end. But you can't win them all. And I think that's how I felt with the Jota captaincy fail this week. And that I feel like all of my good weeks, there's always been a but attached to them. There's been someone benched or there's been, yeah. a, you know, I messed up a captaincy or the person I ignored and didn't bring into my team was the one that fired often seems to have been Patrick Bamford that I didn't bring into my side and kind of everyone else kind of got this artificial 10 point leap on me that I kind of sometimes overcame and often didn't. Um, but that, that is just the game. And I think, you know, the people that end up with, you know, really, really, really good seasons, just get that rub of the green a little bit more frequently in a given year. And that's fine. Um, I, I do feel, though, that there is definitely more kind of grumpiness throughout FPL. And I think you guys have kind of focused on some of the more football-related points to that. But I think an awful lot of it does come down to just how people feel as well. And I, I guess, mm. whilst obviously sometimes the meltdowns are, you know, fairly melty and it can be easy to just laugh or deride or whatever, at the same time, a bit of empathy as well kind of kicks in when you think about, like, the amount of pressure an awful lot of people are under in their actual lives, not that necessarily their FPL management. But in their actual lives, which with no release valve, I know the UK and pubs have opened today, not jealous at all. But uh, <laughs> for an awful lot of people, that has been an awful stress. And people have been cooped up in their homes. And for so many people who are in the FPL community, especially, 
FPL is the thing that they build up to um, over the course of a week. They don't necessarily have other events that would usually kind of dilute the importance of FPL in a given weekend. And so I think that we kind of see this greater outpouring of grief and related to FPL than we would ever see in a normal season this year. And I don't want to talk about it, but VAR does feed into this as well, that hmm. people feel extra robbed if VAR goes against them. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't help that all of the pundits and things are just like, game's gone, mate, all the time. Yeah, it, it heightens that sense of it, the sliding door moments, doesn't it, between happiness and sadness. Um, I think we've all had goals VARD. We've all had, um, you know, potential rivals, clean sheet wipeouts, VARD, and all gone, oh, God's sake. Um, but the reality is that that is football. And I think what Anthony was saying about you know taking the negatives as being more that's just part of the game is probably the healthiest way to look at it. Um, but I guess, you know, on, on the other side of it, you know, as Anthony said, people build up to the weekend. And I think that that's probably the key bit about FPL to spin to the positive side now. Um, that kind of got us interested in the first place when Nick and I, uh, when we first started at least, I remember... You know, when I first got into FPL um, and the Work Mini League, which all three of us are actually not part of, now, even neither of, neither of you have worked with me actually in real, in real life. Thank God you both hate me, and I hate both of you. Um, but uh, we, uh, yeah, we're part. I'm of also that. going for going for my second win in your work league. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> well, you're tied with Nick and me um, in that case on two two wins. What we've all we've all won it twice. I know. I, I don't even good. know the name of the work. <laughs> Yeah, a gaping hole at the back. Anyway, um, but I think it's it, like it, it adds that extra edge of added excitement to the weekend, doesn't it? I mean, it adds spice in terms of living for the weekend, and the football doesn't ever have the same sense of meaning as it does when you've got a fantasy football side to it, does it? I mean, I found myself on many occasions watching games I'd never have watched and thoroughly enjoying them too, um, via owning a random player, two or three. Unless I was troubled up on Brighton for double game week, Anthony. Love Brighton in double game weeks. There is nothing better than the crushing disappointment of Shane Duffy <laughs> not returning for you as your captain in a double game week, especially when you seemingly pipe pipered everyone off a cliff um, doing it as well. Uh, yes, but there are lots of pluses. <laughs> there are lots of pluses uh, within FPL. And I think, yeah, Tom, you've talked about the fact that it does give that other aspect to what you're watching. And that's obviously helpful and does it does bring you kind of give you an interest in games you wouldn't otherwise be interested in uh, for example nick's Veltmania tonight is a pretty good example of like brighton everton wouldn't necessarily be the most interesting game in the world but my word if you have Veltman and a clean sheet coming in you're going to be interested so that's what fpl can do for you but i think what's most interesting for me from an fpl perspective is kind of how we can data nerd and if a little bit to kind of understand what's going on in um, FPL and to try and kind of improve our teams and obviously that's what if you're listening to Dodo GTA that's not exactly a revelation to you that that's something that we would find um, interesting and I think that kind of ties into this kind of broader kind of knowledge of football that we kind of like to grow that FPL kind of helps you to do that you might have an awful lot of um, understanding of the defender that nobody really thinks about at West Brom because they just happen to be the cheap option or the Dan Byrne type characters who kind of give you a cheap option into a defense at some random point in time. 
and that is great like that's that's an, that's a really kind of good upside to it that i really enjoy because i do like knowing what's going on in the football world and fpl facilitates that it gives you the added edge as well sort of the competition element of fpl can be quite fun you're always trying to sort of one up um your friends and and, and prove that your football knowledge is better than your opponents as well and and it certainly does add that extra excitement um to the weekend as we alluded to earlier and i think it's worth inter- it's worth highlighting as well it's, it's a good way of sort of getting involved in football without the gambling element as well and there's many people I've spoken to in the past who have talked to me about the joys of FPL and not having to gamble I've actually spoken to um, sort of people who've had gambling problems in the past about FPL and how how they see it almost as a release and helping them sort of get over their gambling habit and I think that's quite important especially considering sort of the circumstances we're in at the moment with some of these betting platforms like Football Index and Footstock um, sort of collapsing I guess and a few people losing a lot of money there with FPL there's that risk of reputation and sort of one-upping your your friends getting ahead of them being being the winner of that your mini league but um, there's this kind of less of a monetary stake which I guess is, is a good thing um, all things considered. Yeah, definitely. I think when I first started, I used to be uh, fairly good. So using that sort of, like you mentioned, the state of the knowledge to beat other people and that kind of sense of one-upmanship. Like in the office, I was just so good. Like every week just going in on, on the Monday and being like, yeah, you know what? I got 85 points. So did you, oh, sorry, 75. 73 no 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 i got 85 so um yeah i wasn't very nice in my youth was i um but yeah there you go um i think that there's definitely that sort of element and i think just kind of the whole kind of idea of social camaraderie is so key um both in real life and also online and when the two mix together especially is great and Anthony mentioned that kind of broader knowledge i think you can tell the difference between a football fan and an fpl player I mean, obviously, the two are mutually exclusive. Um, but you can tell the difference in conversation because the football fan will tell you obvious stuff. They'll say, you know, something like, oh, Aubameyang looks very dangerous for Arsenal. Or, you know, uh, Kevin De Bruyne, he does a few chances, doesn't he? Um, so you can have a conversation on that level. You know, I, I learned to speak fluent football to get on with other men, basically. But an FPL person, my God, you find out someone's an FPLer and you're friends for life, aren't you? Mostly. Because the conversation isn't, oh, yeah, well, key player does good things for club it is oh what about this random player who plays for a mid-table club oh wow isn't he amazing you know, last year john lindstrom god did you get him in at 4.0 yeah no i got him at 4.2 mate what about you oh same same yeah it was amazing getting him that week when you got the 19 pointer like immediately you're kind of three or four levels deeper with that individual and it kind of tells you so much about them that they play FPL. And many there are during lockdown, a few things that we've spoken to people, people have kind of spoken about what other things, wider things that they're interested in. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. And, um, but mostly like when you speak about things, when you speak about F- FPL with people, when you see it in, so in kind of on Twitter, like people do get on really well. It's not, like I know you're not all part of it, people listening, but it's no near as toxic as you know the gaming Twitter, for example, which is just disgusting at times, and other and politics Twitter. My God, that's awful. That's an awful place to be. Like FPL Twitter is gen- genuinely really nice, and most people who do play are quite nice and quite like willing to share and converse about it. And people have come to the meetups. It's just so fun to just kind of talk about this game and talk about kind of the the 
depth of information that we all have in our heads like all of the kind of personal histories because it's quite like a it's quite like an isolating thing so i'm guessing that most of your close friends aren't fpl people so getting that outlet as anthony kind of mentioned earlier that most people don't have in their lives be it online or being coming on to meet when we can do them again they're so important aren't they obviously we've been in circumstances as well for the last year and a half where i, I don't know about you guys but i haven't really seen anyone <laughs> in the actual flesh in a in a long long time um because I've been st- stuck at home, obviously, with lockdown, and I'm probably going to be, even when society reopens, I'm probably going to be still stuck at home um, in lockdown because of my personal circumstances. So it's uh, it's great to have that kind of outlet and that sort of social channel. And we've got our Slack group, we've got our WhatsApp groups, we've got our Twitter, where we all kind of chat and talk about our teams and everything. And it's, it's, a, re- it's a really nice environment. It's definitely a, a great outlet um, for us all to kind of chat, you know, and make we've obviously made some really good friends as well through the fpl community um and we don't just talk about fpl all the time there's other things to talk about obviously but it's it's great for that kind of social networking element exactly and you can even attract co-hosts onto the, onto your podcast you started with your friend from school right anthony yeah that's exactly it tom yeah you can get some random guy from ireland who nick still hasn't met to uh, be on a podcast with you guys <laughs> for ages and that is definitely one of the greater outlets of fpl in general obviously not in a covid context but um the meetups are really great i've been to a few of them in london i've met a few guys in new york and it's it's really nice like it's it's a great way to kind of as tom says you do kind of break that divide immediately with somebody if you kind of meet a fellow fpl fan but if you meet a fellow fpl community member you're on a certain like another level again <laughs> even deeper got... down the rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like meeting someone who's like a long lost cousin or something that you know you've loads of mutuals that you can just like you know discuss and like hear about and talk about teams and who's like management styles are really interesting to you and like who you know picked that captaincy that went like astronomically well for them or whatever it might be and it, it's such a, a great side to the game for sure it's always very interesting when you meet someone in real life that actually is in twitter like i met someone who i discovered was on twitter instance and it's just interesting to to meet these people out in the wild that you're like oh you too <laughs> you too and it's almost like an embarrassing little secret but no it's just great fun yeah, I think the other bit of fun though, I've been just about touching it earlier on, um, but it's uh, for for me and probably for us, um, and it's not going to be any surprise. I've said a second ago, if you're a WTA listener, um, the fun is going through the data and trying to find insights and arguing about that too uh, in the community, or at least kind of arguing about it on the pod is just great. Uh, from a community perspective, it's fantastic from a Shard and Freud point of view as a trained quantitative person <laughs> uh, to see people misunderstanding data and framing things. Um, but it's also been really interesting to think about kind of, you know, new ways of explaining things. So things like Tasman theory or the on the beach analysis from last week. I think that we've always tried to, um, you know, try to provide a different take on things uh, for FPL, which I think I've always enjoyed. Like I, you would, you can listen to your bread and butter. Like as I said a few weeks ago, there's two levels to FPL stuff I think one is tell me who to pick and level two is tell me why to pick them and we're obviously in that kind of level two sort of zone and the analysis side of things you know suggesting something and watching it happen there's no greater joy than that from content creator's perspective you know from a personal point of view as well if you're, if you're just an individual thinking oh, you know what I fancy this so you know, this week fancying TAA obviously you left it late <laughs> but that happening again that captures your return there's no greater sort of uh sense of satisfaction is there so overall why do we enjoy playing fpl still 
I think there's obviously the challenge element, you know, going up against your peers. In my case, losing heavily, <laughs> going up against your peers at least, and these kind of showcasing the football knowledge of us, and also a sense of analysis. I think the three of us all enjoy. I think the social side is probably one of the key ones. Um, and if you haven't gone to a meetup or haven't been involved with FPL Twitter and don't believe the rubbish, it really is quite a nice place. Um, and you can just, it's great to be able to get involved with the conversation around fantasy football just because it's such a niche. Well, I mean, it was a, a very niche pursuit. Now it's becoming a slightly less niche pursuit. Um, but it's certainly something which still kind of gives you that sort of deeper level of understanding of another person i think it's definitely something that unites people um, of a certain type and it's just great to see it continue to flourish i suppose um and obviously there's a rush as well as nick kind of inferred earlier on about the gambling side of it i'm not having to gamble because you still get the same rush about the player that you've effectively bet on being your captain and coming through in the final minute of a game it's just brilliant, isn't it? That spice of the weekend. Mm, lovely. All right, let's take a break there and move on to the uh, the questions and the correspondence after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? We're back and we're going to have a quick catch-up of the who got the assist. Me and Eager said earlier, the code is CPSUOF. If you want to join, just a quick roundup of the top five. Um, a new name in fifth, actually. Harry Jones's team never wears Prada. Get 77 points that's a, that's a decent rise for him um captain's most Salah. um so yeah well done harry um but in fourth it's victor sandberg 67 points for him ryan hobbs in third with 63 david is uh second uh, with 69 so a good week for him as well lots of great scores up at the top but in, in first actually just hanging on to first is nicola uh 59 points for him uh so sort of average on Average-ish game week, but just still absolutely smashing it overall rank. 118 right now. Very, very impressive. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's, it's incredible always, the top five and what they're doing. Um, when you kind of think about your own performance. Uh, yeah, it's incredible stuff. Well done, guys. All right, let's move on to the correspondence. As I said last week, this isn't dead. I didn't quite kill it off. Um, we have a bit of a backlog to go through. And I think that the question this week happened was actually from early January, wasn't it? Uh, but still nonetheless uh, applicable to what's been going on over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, absolutely. It was Stephen Hall who wrote in with a, a very timeless question. It's just as well it was timeless because it is, yeah, four months since uh, he actually wrote in since we got to it. But such is the nature of the correspondence section. It, it lives on and it comes at times in the season when you least expect it. So, yeah, what is the correspondence section? Just for those of you who are tuning in, it's your chance to write in with your thoughts, questions, theories, addendums to previous pods, whatever it may be, to who got the assist at gmail.com, all one word. And this particular email from Stephen Hall goes as thus. Hi, Tom, Nick and Stag. And thanks for producing what is consistently the most intelligent podcast out there on FPL. Oh, I particularly shucks. enjoy your app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah. He's, really, he's really gone for buttering up here he in the first paragraph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't write it. I didn't write it. I promise. It's not a script. Yeah. It's not it's a like, script. Is, is, Nick wrote it. <laughs> is, yeah, it's like, is Stephen Hall an anagram? Yeah. Uh, I particularly enjoy your application of management and psychology theories to the playing of fantasy football. My question relates to the misuse of statistics by FPL commentators and the ignoring of the King statistic, which is surely FPL points scored. My main point is that FPL pundits often use and misuse data to justify what are in fact good decisions based on the eye test or however a player has performed in the last match they've seen. 
The most obvious example is the cherry picking of data periods where uh, player X has had the most shots on target in the last four game weeks, where the reason why four game weeks was chosen was because that supports the pundit's point best. The person championing this player has already dead, has already decided that they like that player and they've just gone off and found the data which supports their argument. And he suspects that this is a case of decision first and then find some statistics to justify it. Uh, so Stephen kind of sets out his opinion further on just this overwhelming kind of that the overwhelming and most reliable guide to future performance in FPL is FPL points scored or scored per match. And he says that all other data and considerations are contained within this King statistic, which he is right in a way. He does note, of course, that major changes in circumstances like new managers coming in, changes in formation may justify looking at short term stats, but that periods like four weeks are genuine are generally too short to draw conclusions from. The chance randomness have too big of an effect on those particular tiny periods. So he's basically asking us, should we be basing our decisions overwhelmingly on forthcoming fixtures and on FPL points scored? rather than anything else and whether is this king statistic the one really that we should be looking at rather than the milieu or the milieu is that the word i'm looking for tom mix milieu yeah milieu isn't it milieu that's the one yeah rather than so is is it this king statistic that we should be looking at rather than the milieu of statistics that we usually tend to draw on like shots in the box xg etc 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 your thoughts guys yeah i i think 100% 100% actually. I think stats should supplement the base, which is FPL points, and not be subsumed by them. And I touched on the issue of misuse of data earlier on a little bit. I can understand where it comes from as well. Like if you look at things from, and I'm not ripping on XGFC too much here, I understand why they come from where they come from because they're looking at a wide base size, trying to understand what goes on. Um, but the thing is, if you need 200 games as a way of showing that your data bears out over the long term, yikes. Like, if you look at examples like a certain individual in the community's um, you know, avoidance of Bruno Fernandez for a long time, if you look at things like, well, I mean, I'll probably throw in the question from uh, FPL Tips, uh, Harry here. Um, he asked, you know, is Lingard uh, the most essential player right now? If you are looking at the stats for a player like Lingard, there's nothing particularly there which kind of says, you know what, that conversion, so him scoring lots of points, is backed up by the data that he's producing. All you can say is look at it and say, this guy's overperforming. He can't possibly keep that up. So I'm going to avoid him. I'm going to go somewhere else for that player. He's about to explode or he is kind of being consistent in the numbers he's putting up. That to me is a case of principles over points. Um, and I think a really good example of this, and I don't want to, I, again, I very rarely blow smoke up people's backsides, uh, but Will, Fans Football Hub founder, He's in the top 1K, has probably the most formidable history, I think, of any player that I know. But last year, he was 500K. Like, you know, he, had, he had one of those seasons which was just an absolute aberration. And he said this week in his video um, that what changed was basically that he'd stopped overthinking things. You know, he'd stopped going down these rabbit holes, playing 4D chess, uh, which consumption of content can make you do. And said so he made obvious moves week to week. He looked at the form, he looked at what, what was going on. I know that form is a bit of a vexed question. You know, can you look at things in a short kind of uh, time frame and make decisions based on that? The fact is that you can have principles about the fact that over three or four weeks, oh, that's not predictive of future stuff. And there's this kind of whole kind of mantra about not chasing points. Um, but maybe the reality is 
that and again maybe i'm going to put another question here and um, fpl also asked if we've been too slow jumping on bandwagons this year and um, you know also uh, said himself that you know snooze you lose is a bit of a kind of a backdrop of this season as being a bit of a motto because that's totally right like if i look at this year um in my workman league the person who's top has rats to every single bandwagon buying Son and Kane in game week three, for example, buying Bamford in game week three or four, buying Gundogan in game week 13, buying Lingard as soon as he started producing for West Ham, which went straight away. This guy has gone up and up and up in the time that I've spent hesitating, thinking I'm going to size up the player. Oh, you know, this player's got injured. Oh, I'm going to spend time just seeing how they have been impacted. This week, you know, a few weeks ago, this guy bought, bought Nacho after, you know, he scored in, I think, two games in a row. You know, three shots he scored all three so I was like well I want to see if that he can keep it up but this guy just thought you know what I'm going to buy him because he's scoring goals it feels like the prevailing caution a little bit which has been previously espoused by the FPL influencer set including us as well you know we have always said in the past you know it's, we want to see some kind of returns on this player before we buy him in that's evaporated a little bit this year actually and it's no longer a case of urging that caution Every season has this its sort of individual sort of character. Uh, but this season, it's been a case of get them while they're hot, as it were. And those sort of obvious moves this year, more than ever, have been so important. Um, and you know, we've seen as well this year, we didn't talk about earlier on, maybe want to save for a future kind of time frame. But this year, there have been those people copycatting or shadow teaming, uh, like FPL General, who are doing very well from just kind of thinking, well, you know, let's cut out all the noise and just get the player who's performing. Um, so suddenly you've got loads of players who are copying a player like that who is kind of following this rule of get them while they're hot, you snooze and you lose. And you're not playing one player doing that. You're playing thousands of players doing that. Which created this quorum. I mean, we, we spoke about this with the correspondence question with Indy Monkey last week. Loads of players in top 100K are just doing that week after week. Who's doing well? buy them in the casual mindset has reigned supreme this year and i think that fpl points as the kind of the reigning king of um the reason why you should buy a player in that's come home to roost this year really um as a way to do it so yeah principles over points that's always really good you can always sit there and think oh yeah Lingard's not going to keep returning. Martial's not going to keep returning. Mares doesn't keep returning. There's no way Vardy's continue this run of scoring. There's no way Mitu's going to continue this run of scoring. The fact is that by the time that you've gone round to kind of thinking, well, I should probably bring him in for the hell of it, other people have got loads and loads of points on you. Like this game doesn't reward the fact that you've cut your principles have been proven true 10 games later on that finally the player has stopped scoring points. What it rewards is kind of just taking the risk one or two games in. I think that that's kind of the way it is. And I completely agree with what Stephen said. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's quite a, a passionate speech from you, Tom, there. I think, you know, I did consider this question. I think at the start of the season, you see these kind of strange bandwagons develop and you see them, the market forces act in certain ways. For instance, I mean, in the past, we have seen these characters like Yannick Vestergaard's having sort of these amazing starts to the season, everyone jumping on the bandwagons, or Stephen Ward for Burnley when he just picked up a goal or an assist and um, a couple of clean sheets 
to all of a sudden was a top defender attracting all the all the purchases. So I think it's not just really about about points scored. Of course, you know, points is the the biggest metric of all with game sort of the goals, the assists, the clean sheets, the minutes played, the discipline as well, everything thrown in sort of one melting pot and um producing points and obviously we're all playing for points but um you know i think i do i do think the underlying stats are just as important looking at what's actually happening um under the ground and that's how we try as fpl managers to kind of beat the the so-called casual market that are only looking at who's got the highest points and bringing those guys in so for instance one example from earlier this season which i thought was a really good move was um Tom bringing in James Rodriguez after one game week. Um, so he blanked in that first game week of the season, only picked up two points. But um, I think he was top for chances created um, and looked really good in his sort of Everton debut. And you jumped on that bandwagon before he'd even returned any FPL points at all. And, and um, I think you got a few returns from him. So it's not always just about the points. Obviously, like as FPL managers, Points is a very important metric, but we do have to kind of look to see if we can beat the competition by trying to understand why those players are getting points, whether it's luck or whether it's something else. But of course, as you said, so many examples this particular season, and I've been a victim of this. I've been punished by not getting the likes of Lingard, by not getting the likes of Ilkey Gundogan for almost having inherent biases against these players. These players have been in the Premier League for four to five seasons now. Uh, more for Lingard and and they've never delivered ever on a consistent scale before this season so I've had I've had biases I've seen braces from Gunderhan I've seen braces from Lingard or goals and assists and for you know you know these, these are almost joke characters in our minds they're not kind of FPL assets or trusted players that we've seen deliver in the past you know all our, our key men like Son or Kane or Bruno Fernandez. so I, I've kind of failed to a certain extent over the course of the season by not bringing in these guys early enough so i do understand the kind of closed-minded thinking that you kind of mentioned is is within certain sections of the twitter community who who kind of look at the data and say actually this isn't valid but then of course this season has kind of proved the opposite that if you do jump on those bandwagons early if you do get the likes of lingard or the likes of rafinha gundahan um or um, Ian Acho, get them in early, then you can really, really deliver. And obviously, there's been so many, um, so many cases this season. It's quite interesting, actually, this this question that's come in from Stephen, and it almost like hints at that kind of like realist versus liberalism debate that rages within like international relations or international law speak. And it's like you've got that you know, the big gun talk of something like FPL points as the key metric that you should be looking at that explains everything. And then, you know, your more liberal view might be that, you know, no, FPL points are just the cohesive system of underlying stats that come together into something more. And I think just like in debates in international relations, this debate between FPL points and underlying stats, uh, the truth probably is somewhere in between that both of them have their values. And I think you guys have both kind of nail this to an extent and it's that you know fpl points are useful for keeping up with other managers the herd the imitators whatever and of course they are inherently useful for fpl a game that is based on fpl points yeah of course but at the same and like this is the reason why we would have something like talisman theory which is completely based on fpl points because it shows you who's integral to a side and how that kind of translates into fpl points at the same time though and as nick was saying 
the underlying stats are important for contextualizing the data and the contextualizing the points to yes, to identify look, to identify patterns, to identify what's changing. And I think in a way, the underlying stats in this sense, like we've kind of, we've talked about underlying stats, but what we haven't talked about is the eye test here. And, you know, the eye test kind of has to factor into that thinking as well, because you have to be, you have to some, to some degree, football led thinking does actually feed into FPL thinking. And that, you know, if you can see that a player is getting in the right positions and doing things, doing the fundamentals right, and it feels like things are going to come together for them, that can be of value that wouldn't necessarily be reflected in FPL points. Is that necessarily the majority of your transfers? No, I think most of the time you're making transfers like, you know, of the, you have 11 starting players, nine of them are probably relatively close to a template. There's probably mostly your decisions would have been based on FPL points previously scored and you're just covering yourself and keeping going. But you always have your risks in your team, your differential picks in your side you're, when you're trying to get ahead. And those picks can be, definitely have to be, I guess, if to, made, to be differentials, have to be players that haven't necessarily been scoring as much as others yet. And so you have to look to underlying stats, to the eye test, to everything else to figure out who are the players that you want to target with your transfers in that kind of area. And so I think that pretty much ties off this question between all three of us. We've kind of got a a more FPL points radical in Tom, Nick, the underlying stats man. And then I'm kind of blurring the lines in the middle of the two of you, really. Um, but that was a really good question from Stephen. So thanks so much for emailing in, Stephen. And uh, th- thanks for waiting four months as well for our response to your question. I hope it aids you for next season more than anything or the run-in for this season. The correspondence section, how can you email in if you want to be like Stephen featured in this segment? Who got the assist at gmail.com? your thoughts, your questions, your theories, your addendums to previous pods, to previous correspondence sections, to just random discussions, poetry, songs. We'll take it all. It's a very fluid slot. Yep, exactly. Not that at all. Right, and I think we didn't... I threw his question in here. I think we did answer the one from FPL Awesome to some extent, um, but we didn't really answer one from Harry, uh, which is Lingard. Is he the most central player right now? That's FPL tips. Um, so, I mean, I got him in. Anthony said, you know, couldn't ignore him and his wild cards. Uh, the data, as many people have said, don't doesn't quite kind of correspond with his returns. He is a player who, if form exists, is espousing that sense of form, and much to the dismay of Anis FC. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you not fine? I'm fine. Probably a summation of how they're feeling right now. Um, but Nick, as a non-Lingard owner, is it kind of the case that you're kind of hoping that he's going to stop you know, doing it? Or is he the essential player right now and thus a player that you're going to be buying in as a priority? Uh, well, I do have a decision to make here. To, and it's going to be... I feel like it's going to be a very important decision in terms of how, how I finish up in the season is whether I kind of go for Lingard's now. And, and, you know, as we said, it's kind of, it almost feels like the damage has been done. Um, he's, he's returned eight goals, six assists, whatever it is. He's, he's um, ownership was particularly high last game week, but now we've seen another 250,000 transfers in time recording. Probably going to be about 350, 400, maybe even higher by the end of the game week. And the ownership will be like, I'll probably see it as almost 70, 80, 80% um, for the next game. And, and they do have some great fixtures. So, I mean, it is a dangerous move, but we do have also a question from Adam Pritchard 
um, asking us about sort of riskier strategies and, and whether we should be sort of buying outside the mainstream picks. And FPL Ruben um, also asked us that. And, and Matthew Biggins also asked us about even if it's worth going differential at this moment in time. So I'm, I'm looking at it and say, well, hold on. What's, what's the upside if I go for Lingard? It's probably limited rank increase. Or what's the, you know, if I go for someone a bit different, maybe. And one player I looked at as well, alternative pick, is uh, was Christian Pulisic. Um who uh, did particularly well this this game week? He um, he uh, scored obviously a brace. He also got three goal attempts and created four chances as well. Um, and he was talked up a little bit by Thomas Tuchel as well after the match. So he's one I'm looking at uh, with some of the Chelsea's decent fixtures. Also his teammate Kai Havertz probably another option out there. Another differential should I be looking now and saying actually Pulisic just got a brace. It's time to move on from. Lingard and, and say right that that one's over everyone's going to own him and go for someone different like Pulisic so you know I think the underlying stats there's a bit of negativity around them but I, I think they're there looking at what I was looking at at least last game week he was right up there in terms of the shots inside the box for midfielders up there sort of the last five game weeks up there with Mo Salah so I think he's certainly performing I watched um, some of the game as well and he, he was electric um, so so dangerous playing with so much confidence, which is very, very important as well. As, as we said, it's not always about the XG, etc. It's about the eye test and, and what he looks like. And he does look great. And I do want him, but then I'm like, it's, just, it's so lame just doing it now when the damage has been done. And I should be perhaps considering a differential. I, I, I looked at Podents as well. I don't think I'm going to go for Podents, but I thought maybe he could. No, don't do that. Step don't up. do it. Too. But, um, Obviously, I think it was one week where the people went for like the riskier strategies. Um, you know, going for someone like Neto, for instance, who was another oh. player I looked at, um, just got absolutely punished. So imagine going for Neto over Lingard, and he's kind of like, I like that kind of move because it's a bit more maverick. It was, you know, Lingard was doing so well; it'd been a bit boring to get him in, but. Um, it's a bit more maverick to go for someone like Neto, but the riskier strategies did get punished this particular game week, especially. I think this really ties into what I was saying in the correspondence section, actually, about how, you know, you probably have 11 starting players and nine of them are more than likely kind of defaulted based on what is happening in FPL, basically. And I think Lingard very much falls squarely into that, you know, one of those nine picks category that I just can't avoid not having him. Uh, and obviously, if there's if there is signs of a dip in West Ham's form, you, some people thought that, that might come because Antonio was injured. It it didn't. Um, then yeah, get rid and sell. Like things may revert to some sort of mean eventually. Like he is scoring and assisting at a rate basically not seen in Europe in the last month at the moment, and that that feels unsustainable. Um, as much as I really do enjoy seeing him doing well. Uh, but then maybe addressing the differential questions, I kind of I've picked at a few sides just to maybe answer those questions. And it's interesting that you focus on Pulisic, Nick, because it's Kai Havertz is the one that stands out to me in that Chelsea midfield. And anyways, he's a bit more expensive, but I think it's definitely worth it. That in in limited minutes in the last five game weeks, uh, no Chelsea player he's had limited minutes in the last five game weeks. Yet no Chelsea player has higher XG or more shots in the box than him. He is, of course, as we know, and we would have talked about in preseason, a bit of a sleeping giant at this point. That in the Bundesliga, he was brilliant. That he was had he then he had a rough start at Chelsea. He had illness. He had COVID. He wasn't apparently a player that Lampard wanted to bring into the side as well. So he had quite a few disadvantages working against him. So it's easy to forget that this is a guy who's had twelve goals and six assists and thirty appearances in the Bundesliga last year, and he's only twenty-one. 
So he left the Bundesliga having played 150 appearances, had 36 goals and 25 assists. That's more than a return every three great every three games as a teenager. He's a phenomenal player if he gets going, and we saw a little. We've seen a little bit of a hint of that at Chelsea, and I think we will continue to see more of it. Mason Mount is kind of the more like stats plotter in that side, and he's probably the more boring pick in that. But I think we're starting to see Chelsea crystallise towards something that isn't as rotation prone as it has been. And I think that Havertz should be central to them going forward if they want to uh, actually pick up three points week in, week out and actually get Champions League football. Uh, just maybe some of the other teams just to kind of tie in here, talking about differentials quickly. On the beach theory is definitely coming through strong. This is last week's pod topic. Uh, we discussed the fact that like we thought the likes of Southampton, Everton, Palace, Burnley would drop off a little bit. Uh, Wolves we talked about as well. Of course, they did win, but it wasn't exactly a thumping win against uh, Fulham. So, you know, not sure about them. Leeds were, of course, in the category, but let's just ignore that, that they beat Man City. That doesn't fit the narrative that we're talking about here. But some teams are definitely on the beach. I, For me, anyway, I would say categorically Southampton, Palace, and then from there, Everton, Burnley are kind of in a near-beach category. You know, they've definitely put on their flip-flops. They've got their towel draped over their shoulders and they're almost there, but they're just not quite there. Wolves, I'm not quite sure. Like, they've they've definitely got the sun cream on. I'm just not sure if they've left their hotel room yet. We've to kind of figure out where they're going, but we've definitely got teams on the beach and they can be considered. Yeah, so we also have then kind of teams that are on the beach in a very different way. And it's not because of their safety. It's because their plight has got so bad that there's just no saving them. And Sheffield United are in that category. And I, I think they're no longer alone in that category. I think Fulham may well be there now. They are in a very, very tough situation. They obviously had a gut-wrenching, they had a gut-wrenching loss to Wolves, um, last-minute goal or effectively last-minute goal. That's now four losses in a row, even though they've been playing pretty well and their stats are actually quite good. They are now six points away from Newcastle um, because Newcastle obviously beat Burnley. But Fulham have also played more games than those above and below them. So I think they're seriously at risk, which means that there's only really one team who is in that kind of differential category at the bottom where, you know, it's like they're playing for their lives. And that's West Brom. I can't believe that we've Mathis got to... Pereira, bye, bye, bye. Uh, but Math- Mathis Pereira falls into the Lingard category, I think. that like If you think that Jalings is outperforming uh, XG yeah. impossibly, like Pereira, you, you've got to put in there as his, like, um, his cousin in uh, XG-defying arms, that they're, they're really, really... <laughs> it's, it's hard to see how it's going to happen. And like I, I can't stand here as much as I'd like to say uh, and recommend the Irish CR7, Callum Robinson, or Mbaye Dian for that matter. So I think really the, the good differential options in that West Brom team are either Sam Johnston, obviously, with a penalty, you'd um, with a penalty save, he's obviously going to be on people's radars a little bit more this week with a high score. And an assist last week as well. And an assist last yeah. week. Yeah, he's, he's really a sensational pick. Uh, but I actually think that the real player to pick up in that West Brom team, if you really wanted one, is a 4.4 defender, Townsend. He's had as many shots as any West Brom defender in the last 10. And he's also ninth of all defenders in the Premier League, not just like West Brom defenders. He's the ninth of all defenders for most chances created um, in the last 10 game weeks, which I thought was pretty surprising. And so whilst, you know, there's an awful lot of kind of like XG defying, uh, not necessarily players that we would have trusted over a season uh, for scoring in West Brom's team, there's not that many providing for them. And Tenzin is one that hasn't necessarily been getting the attacking points yet, but I think could be, and he's quite cheap there. Yeah, exactly. I just think this whole topic of differentials, and obviously a few ones have been picked up by Anthony there, um, 
I mean, at Matthew Biggins, for example, another question here, we had loads of questions on this, of course, because we're getting into chasing desperation mode at the moment. Uh, Matthew Biggins asked, is it even worth going differential at the moment? Because he had a bad week. He took a lot of differentials in and he said, you know, it didn't go very well for him. So is, is it even worth it? But there are others, you know, at TED Talk mentions, at TED Talks FPL mentioned he bought Lacazette this week and got 15, 13 points out of him. I think with differentials, the reality is you always need you always need to be prepared to take your medicine if things don't go your way. Uh, Anthony and I did that last week with Bamford uh, being the captain when everybody had came for that brace. And I guess the reality is the amount of times you see people celebrating differential payoffs online makes you think that going with these niche picks always works out. In reality, it, I think it doesn't. Majority of the time, let's be fair. And Tom, you were like treating it like vaccines, were you? That you need to inoculate yourself by giving yourself more of the virus by <laughs> captaining a defender. Yeah, <laughs> I, well, obviously, obviously, it, it did work out, and I did uh, get, a, I did beat it. Um, but yeah, it, it was very, very lucky. But I think that that whole thing, that whole moment um, with Trent scoring, is symbolic of a high risk, high reward strategy, isn't it? So people captaining Trent or captaining Lingard, or captaining Nacho this week, outperformed the high EO captain in Kane, who just got two or four. And with a low safety score, I was brilliant. So from my perspective, I could hide a hit. From other people's perspective, you know, I've just seen the um, FPL merch. Ross got 76 points this week. Like, that's a huge jump. And you, Anthony, as well, like 30% rank rise this week. That's absolutely amazing. Um, and so there are these weeks when the quote-unquote template, which is template for a reason. We know that. We've gone into that discussion before. Um, but there are weeks like this where, yeah, if you are differential and you're differential in the wrong way, like Matthew seems to have been, it doesn't go particularly well. Um, but in answer to Adam and Ruben's point, things can really go your way if you do bet against template okay the, the wild cards do shift things but the majority of people would still own that sort of well-wrought set of individuals and that can go really really well for you um there's a kind of a, a one question there's a few questions obviously that, that come from this um but one to tack on here as well from alex bull um who said that bruno um who has managed four blanks in the last six and his only returns have been a penalty and an assist. Is he the sort of player who's still held due to fear? Now, Anthony, I know you've held Bruno through your wild card. But is that just kind of a fear pick? Or is it the fact that, you know, he's one return away from being essential again? It's probably, okay, well, it suits me to say it's probably more of the latter, um, that I just think he's one goal away from being essential. But there is also a fact, the fact of the fear. Um I also have value tied up in him. If I sell him, I'm probably not going to be able to get him back. And that was definitely a big factor for me as well. That I, I think you're always just a minute away from the Bruno Fernandes tide turning. And I, I didn't want to be caught on the wrong end of that. And even Fernandes, he drew one very, very good save out of Loris um, against Spurs. So like, it's, it's not like he's not attacking or anything. He's still tipping away with his granted long shots and he's obviously still on penalties. So he has a good option. One differential, actually, I didn't throw in when we were discussing the differentials. Mason Greenwood, I think, is someone that could be a, an interesting oh, yeah, differential for people. Really yeah. Like yeah, basically. So he's actually had the most shots in the box of all Man United players since game week 26. And he has the highest XG from open play as well with 1.21, which is very, very low for the highest XG player um, from open play in 
a team that's in the top six. And that maybe tells you that United are slowing down. But at the same time, Mason Greenwood is a player who has particularly good finishing, noted in the game, noted in the articles, noted in any stats you look at. He has particularly good finishing. And so with that in mind, um, he will take his chances if presented with them. The problem with him is that obviously he doesn't guarantee minutes. He had a goal and assist, but having come off the bench against Spurs, but he had played 90 for the two games before that. And with Martial injured, you would think that he is probably more secure in his minutes than he has been at previous times. Yeah, certainly. I really like Mason Greenwood, actually, as a pick. I think that's, that's a great shout. So perhaps another differential um, that people might be targeting um, as we enter the final stages of the season. But I guess I guess we'll move on um, and cover the other team in Manchester, which is uh, City and um, hapless FPL. He asked us, is it now time to ditch our City assets entirely? So I feel like we've all been sort of slowly disinvesting in Manchester City over the past few game weeks. I've still got Ilki Gundogan in my team. I think you both still have him as well, but he's probably on the chopping block. He's certainly one that I'm considering to sell. I'm actually probably going to sell Rafinha, actually, just because Rafinha's got a little bit of an injury. Um, So he might be the one that goes for me. But, you know, I think with, as I kind of said earlier on in the pod, my opinion here is that City have so many competitions they're still involved in. They've got the League Cup final, they've got the FA Cup semis, they've got the Champions League and the title and it's not wound up yet, but it's surely coming their way. And we're seeing that he's not playing in the league because this player is being prioritised in, um, in the uh, Champions League and stuff. And you also Ruben Diaz as well, the, the undroppable Ruben Diaz. I think you've still got him, haven't you, Tom? Um, or have you sold him now? Um, still got Diaz? Still got him, still got him. You've still got him. He Even the undroppable uh, Diaz uh, didn't play this week. And of course, they've got the blank in 33 as well. So... Is, you can always get punished with Manchester, selling Manchester City players, but my concern is that in the league, it's not necessarily the best players that are playing. He's, he's getting like the likes of Zinchenko getting minutes and producing some great underlying stats as well, to be fair. Um, so, you know, the best players aren't necessarily playing, like Scancello, uh, Diaz, uh, Gundogan, De, De Bruyne didn't play at all as well. So maybe it is time to, to start selling. With uh, Diaz and Gundogan, who I have, or other City players, like if you can tune yourself in, and we're going to speak about Spurs in just a second, tune yourself in to the next game week, which is a double game week for Spurs, I've definitely been looking at that. So a lot of people have Sterling, for example, as one-week pump from last weekend, commiserations. That's an obvious move to the likes of Son. Um, I'm probably going to be moving kind of players around actually outside those guys. Um I'm definitely going to be benching one of them this week. Let's be fair, first bench and just taking it as it is, taking my medicine if they do perform well. Um, as it is, I mean, I completely agree with the sentiment of the question that like, it's Rotation City. And we said that last week, that it's Rotation City. And this week, for example, I'm not really annoyed because I'd never have done it, but Gundogan coming off the bench meant that I've been blocked from Nick's Veltman points, for example. So I could have got 66 rather than 60, and that would have even more hidden my hit. Um, this team definitely is a team that can do very, very well in, one, in, in a one-week kind of punt basis. You can get very, very lucky, um, or at least if you manage to target the player who plays in game week 34 against Crystal Palace away and they whack them. If you get the player who plays in game week 36... Uh, Newcastle away and they whack them then you've done really well 
Um, and I think that maybe that could be an opportunity for people because there are people who are going to be saying, like I've just said, you know what, these guys, Tom Pitzball, I'm I'm off. Um, so using that valuable transfer to be buying in the likes of, you know, Riyad Mahrez or something like that, like a, an explosive differential who just does the job against these teams. Because let's not forget, City are absolutely ridiculous uh, when it comes to the attacking stats. I don't need me to tell you what they are. They are simply ridiculous. They've had an off day against Leeds but I'm not sure that's going to continue I think that no matter what players they've got on the pitch they're all imbued with the Guardiola spirit Um, but nonetheless as a going concern so week to week is this going to be are these going to be assets players we can rely on absolutely not so if you do ditch your assets entirely that's completely understandable and I think that's completely viable um it may come back to bite you every now and again, uh, but I can bet you from this point onwards over the last seven game weeks, the players that you bring in to replace them are probably going to outscore them because barring them being knocked out of the Champions League, which could well happen, you know, Pep could do what he did last year against Lille and randomly decide to just match Dortmund. Um, then uh, if that happens, we're in different conversation of, entirely, of course. Um, but as it stands at the moment, I completely understand the question. I completely agree with the sentiment behind it. Anthony, what do you reckon here? So obviously I just wildcarded and I actually kept both Gundogan and Diaz, which I think some people might think was a, a little bit foolhardy. But basically I just didn't want to get caught just yet. And I wanted to see how things panned out, uh, especially in the case of Diaz. I felt like if I sell him, I'll never get him again. And it will be very hard to just, I I feel still, in spite of everything that he has obviously missed a few games, I still feel like he's a relatively uh, like good access point into that City defence that I've got at a pretty cheap price and I'm kind of quite content to keep him in my side. Gundogan is obviously in a different category to that. And I think last week's pod, I kind of went into detail on how how much he is actually one of Pep's Champions League men. Like, and even when he wasn't a Premier League regular, he was very much a Champions League knockout stages regular in the last few seasons when things inevitably didn't go too well for City. But, you know, <laughs> this year things should change, or so they hope anyway. And so I, th- I suspect he will continue to be playing in the Champions League, of course. And it is hard to know what to do with them. I'm going to keep him for at least the Villa game, purely because uh, having played in the FA Cup against Chelsea on the Sunday or the Saturday, I fancy that he could play on a on a Wednesday night against Aston Villa I, I do fancy him to play in that game and so I'll keep him for that and then he's obviously got the blank and will I sell him at that point I might I've set myself up so that I only have three players who will be playing in the blank game week so no matter what I could just go through um, with my 11 men that would be on the pitch and hope for the best he could go at that point but overall I just want to keep him because the template still very much has him and I can absorb a little bit of value loss on him, but I can't really afford to get him back in. There also isn't an obvious solution in that if I sell DS and Gundogan, I really do I want to keep one of them? I don't think so. I kind of feel for whatever reason, I feel like I'm into some sort of odd contract where I have to have two of them or none of them. You know, I'm, I'm making a decision to really go away from City or I'm keeping a little bit of attack and a little bit of defense from them. And so I'd be looking at selling Gundogan and Diaz to get one good player and one dud player, probably one good midfielder and one really, really cheap defender. And I just don't feel like that balances my side the right way. I just don't feel the risk reward balance is just right. And I do 
whilst obviously City are nicely ahead, United have a game in hand that can knock the lead in the title race down to eight points. One mess up and things start to get a little bit tighter and then suddenly Pep is going to have to play his better team for a game or two more in the Premier League than he would have planned. And I fancy that just with Villa, I'd expect them to win. Palace have been a bogey team in previous seasons for them. And then you've got Chelsea in game week 35, a Chelsea team whose Champions League ambitions are going to be on the line. Those aren't easy games at all. Even if we say Palace are on the beach, Palace have confounded all expectations against City year in, year out. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens with them. Uh, almost the case is that Diaz at five point whatever, Gundo at five point whatever, like the rotation threat is priced in. And if things do change, then you've suddenly got two very potent assets in your squad, right? It's kind of more if you're looking at likes of Sterling or whatever in your team, you're kind of looking at them thinking that's not worth the money. Um, but a player who can produce the goods bigly um, in the lights of a Gundogan or something like that could be worth holding on to depending on how context shifts. All right, speaking of context, uh, next game week is a big one for Spurs. Um, and FPL Sponge asks if any Spurs assets worth worth our attention for the double game week other than Kane. Um, so it has been noted um, that Spurs are going through a little bit of a downturn, aren't they? Um, Joseph Melvin asks if Son is worth it for one week. And FPL Claret asks if even a Spurs defender is worth our while. Um, no, full disclosure, I'm looking at Loris, as I said last week, and just because I've got two very bad looking goalkeepers for this game week, so I might be buying him in. Um, just because, yeah, I mean, Everton, Southampton, they're not the best teams to be playing in double game week, but given how they've gone and looking at the on the beach theory, you guys both told me Everton, no, no, don't put them on on the beach. Yeah, they're on the beach, lads. Um, Yeah, neither of those games look particularly good. Q, obviously, a Dominic Cavalier in Brace and Danny Ings Brace. Um, But I've got um, Tits McGee away at Arsenal. That's Ariola for the sad people. And Martinez at home um, as my goalkeepers. So bringing Lloris in for that kind of makes sense and um i don't know like spurs have got great players but a manager that's playing the way which doesn't suit the players i'm not going to go into um, the spurs analysis um but one man who can do that is nick um so what do you think about spurs at the moment nick um, how are you feeling about what's going on and do you think anybody should be buying spurs players in yeah, I mean, I'm a little despondent, to be honest, in terms of their current form. It's, it's incredibly poor and it's very disappointing to see. But, you know, there are two two key men. When it comes to FBL, there's, there's Harry Kane and, and Min Son. And I, I think both are essential, actually, this, for this game week. I think if you don't have Son, you, you should really be getting him in. Um, he is the sort of the key man. Obviously, Harry Kane... Um, it's probably going to be the standout captain pick. I've actually got my triple captain still, which is very nice. So I will be using that on Harry and hoping that he can do the business against these on the beach teams, as you put it. I know, um, Anthony, you don't have Son. You chose not to get him in on his wild card, keeping the likes of Fernandez instead. So it'll be interesting to see um, if you're going to ignore him for this week and hope to just ride it out. Uh, but um, yeah, they, obviously they do have a blank the following game week. So it's, it's kind of like the Larice pick is actually very interesting there because um, 
I think, you know, if you've got him as a second goalkeeper, you don't then need to worry about the following week and, and trying to field 11 men because currently I've already got Goodwin, I've already got Caden Son. I don't really want, and I've also actually got Josh Madger for some reason still lurking in my team. So I don't really want to get another Spurs player in or a defender um, because it just creates a, a shortfall for the next game week and I have to rely on 11 men, which is obviously a little bit of a, a risk because we've seen so much rotation and stuff. So, you know, I think. It's, it's all about Son and Kane. They've been brilliant all season. Unfortunately, the rest of the sides haven't quite um, done the business in the games, unfortunately. And I think in terms of pure assets outside of Son and Kane, as I've seen a little bit of noise about Lucas Moura. I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I don't think it's worth it personally. Um, Bale's obviously completely off the quick off the grid now so ignore him it's probably only um Reguillon, who who's in a few teams uh ben davis is injured at the moment so uh, Reguillon, he's got that starting berth nailed for the left back for now and he's done the last five games um gets forward quite a bit gets certainly into those attacking positions where he can make the crosses and generate the chances so there's the option there for an assist um there is potential for a clean sheet i guess but you know we haven't been that brilliant in terms of defences um, defending and getting clean sheets and stuff like that, especially in the last few game weeks. So, you know, it is double though. So if, if you want to get in the Spurs player, you could get in something like Reggie and perhaps would be the only one I'd maybe recommend outside of Son and Kane. So I am not going to get Son in. I'm just going to plug forward with Kane. I do appreciate it's a risk because it's it's no revelation to people who are listening that Son and Kane are the likely men and I'm obviously going to be missing one of them and that could potentially be completely disastrous like it's it's totally possible that Kane and Son could both pick up 20 points against these two teams like they're, they're that type of player that they could do it at any time uh, even if form has been going against them you just don't know how things will change at the same time I don't think that's going to happen and I hope it doesn't it isn't going to happen I'm not going to rip up my side expecting it to happen because I, I think it's a, a low probability of happening. I kind of feel like if anything, Spurs are going the other way. And I think we're going into an accelerated version of a Mourinho meltdown in a new way at a new club. And so I'm not dreadfully concerned about it. I'll probably captain Kane as an insurance policy. Um, I'll have enough. My team will be differentiated enough, babe, because I won't have Son. Uh, but I won't try to overdo this by also captaining away from Kane. I think that would be just too dangerous. Part of it as well, though, is that I have the blank game week to factor into things. And if I was to get Son in, I throw the balance over the edge. And I'm so probably looking at, probably it would be a hit to get him in, or it would end up being a hit to get rid of him and to sort myself out for the blank game week because I'd have just overextended myself. And it's not worth that. No, definitely. Right, okay. So uh, you obviously mentioned Captain Kane. That would normally be a really good segue. But I have a couple of questions um, on my birthday so i'm going to be self-indulgent and answer them the first one is that james from planet fpl asked if i made a team in game week one and advocated next season who would i nominate to manage it and why maybe this is in reference to me being in the mud this year and i think i maybe you want someone like mark southerns or late risers managing my team again don't want to blow smoke up people's ass but i think that plays a lot of high risk high rewards one i enjoy plus the two people i respect who best encapsulates way of playing um I think I've done, I've done so poorly over the last three years that I no longer have a record to protect. So maybe I'll get someone, I could get someone at least um, 
to give me some more bang for my buck rather than a safe manager. That's a really good way of doing it. But equally, it could be nice to have someone like Nick or Joe or Matthew Jones to just carefully park me in the top 100K, which might be good. Nah, I'll go something more like that. High risk, high reward. Let's do it. CFDs, uh, <laughs> something like that. And the final question this week, again, to me, Tom Campbell asked which FPL legends uh, meet you, Baines, McCauley, I'll let you share a cake with. Um, my birthday cake, that is. I'm going to cop out here and say I'd be loved by Marion Antoinette because I actually love cake that very much. I've not got a sweet tooth, to be honest. But if I did have one, I think it could be Victor and Nietzsche be actually because he was a legend for me because he was an enabler for that amazing uh, 180-plus point uh, double game week score, and I love Joloff. Right, let's go to transfers and captains. One for the Niger fans there. Um, Anthony said you were captaining Kane this week. Uh, what transfers are you making post wildcard? I assume you're rolling it. Yeah, the the hope is to roll it. Bar something happening in the Champions League, I'm going to be rolling my transfer. Obviously, bar in injuries or revelations or COVID issues, I will probably roll my transfer. And Captain Kane, keep it safe. Um, Vice Captain, I think I'll just throw it on Salah or Hinacho or something. I'm not really thinking about it too much. My biggest dilemma really is that I'm I have a bench which contains at the moment Holding and Gundawan, and whether I would put them ahead of some of the players that I have playing, the likes of Diaz, maybe Trent or Jota or Shaw or Lingard. I basically I've just got. 15 playing players, all of whom you would pick in varying weeks. And I think 14 of them are decent enough picks for this week. Um, So that's my biggest headache. And even to be honest, if there was a short-term injury where I could just roll through and keep whoever happened to have picked up an injury, I probably would because it would be of more benefit to me in the long run. I do like that you've got so many players um, playing. That's just the benefit of holding on to your wild cards really paid off for you in those past few game weeks, holding on to those chips. And I'm hoping that I held on to my triple captain chip for a good reason. So that's going to be on Harry Kane this week. Vice will probably be Son. Um, in terms of the transfers, so yeah, I've got Rafinha um, potentially out. Um, so I might sell him. I could also sell Josh Madger, but I've been looking at the forward options. So there's just no one there. They're just all crap. So there's no, no one particularly appealing to me. I mean, Lacazette maybe, but Adam Pritchard told me he's crap. So I'm, I'm not getting him in. What uh, about Inacho? Uh, Inacho, yeah, potentially, to be fair. Yeah, he is someone that I, um, I should maybe get him in. <laughs> We've got West Brom, Crystal Palace, Southampton, Newcastle. The next four fixtures. See, you see you're taking over my team here. Hire <laughs> you, and you can make the move. I'm, I'm kind of looking at the link Rafinha to because he's injured to Lingard maybe or Pulisic. As I said, maybe the differential pick. Maybe I go for go for broke and get someone who's got a ridiculously low ownership right now. So Ian Acho or Lingard are kind of like the. Oh, they've already got about 60% ownership of the active players, or Pulisic, who's got currently 2.1%. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's time to take a chance. So, yeah, we'll see. And Thomas, what are your moves? Um, so, I'm going to eating this nut, these nuts. My, my moves are having a completing the house move. Some, some nuts. <laughs> um, as I mentioned, I'm going to be buying. As I mentioned, I'm going to be buying Larice this week. I think uh, very unsexy transfer. Because I've got Ariola away at Arsenal or Martinez at home to Man City. So I'm going to double game week. Why not? And I think I'm going to be doing Antonio to Ikenacho because, in line with what we said last week about Lingard, 
do the obvious move. And captain-wise, I mean, you've got Kane, you've got some. I think I could probably captain some and hope for the best. Or I captain Kane because everybody's going to be captain Kane. There's going to be triple captains everywhere captaining Kane. So probably it could be a good idea to just hope my differentials do the job for me this week because of the massive EO on Kane. I've said in the past, from here on out, I'm going to be punting. Is this the week to really be punting, especially because both players play for the same team? Okay, this week just gone. Son has got the points and Kane hasn't. But the XGI for Kane is absolutely huge compared to Son. Yeah, I think I'm probably going to just be boring and Captain Kane this week. Hope the people who kind of do take the risk, go the other way, fail, and they try to do the job for me. The EO is going to be massive. I think it's just a case of just enjoying the weekend, frankly. <laughs> um, so it is what it is, I think. Um, but yeah, I'm sure I've got enough differentiation in my squad to do the job for me. It is actually just worth noting, you say the triple captains are going to be all around. I just had a look there on the one of the websites, Premier Fantasy Tools, to look at how many people have their triple captains left. In the top 5K, it's about 25%. In the top 100, it's about 15%. And amongst what they call like all-time best, which is kind of like this kind of like category of managers who have good all-time Hall of Fame type scores, about 25% of them have their triple captain left. And I would expect you will see most of them acting on it this weekend. Yeah, most people are going to captain him anyway, let's be fair. So the EO, I think, is going to be, you know, Bruno, I think, set the record, didn't he, a couple of week, a few weeks ago, it being 176%. And this week is going to be probably, you're looking at you know, close to 190. I don't think 200 is ever, ever possible, is it? Um, but you're looking at ridiculous numbers, aren't you? Yeah, I think it would be possible, would it not, mathematically, if you had the triples coming in enough. Yeah, you need, you need quite a lot of um, overwhelming, basically, sense of uh, sentiment going in that direction. Yeah. Cool. So we were Who Got Your Sis. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already as well. Yeah, thanks so much for tuning in, guys. Hope you enjoyed. If you want to get correspondence in, who got the assist at gmail.com. We'll be back next Thursday with the pod. We've It's a, a game week that lasts forever, so it finishes on Wednesday, Thursday. So we'll pod after that, and we'll have something for you for the game week after that. Yep, thanks for listening. Thanks for the birthday wishes, or those who put it that way. I hope this is We'll see you next Thursday, ahead of next game week. Oh, it's the longest game week ever just coming up. Take care, all the best, and good luck. Goodbye. See you guys. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.